0: This week on the Rail Splitter Podcast, we are going to be discussing the current state of things. Now, now, now! Not five, not four, not to just three. The Rail Splitter, axe in hand, looking
1: out at a frontier of hope and
0: possibility. In excellent to each other, and party on, dude! Welcome to the Rail Splitter podcast, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. I am your co-host Mary, and joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Nick.
2: Hello Rail Splitter Nash, what's up?
0: And Rail Splitter Jeremy.
2: Hello everyone. It's good to be recording and chatting with the Rail Splitters.
0: Yep, and that's basically what we're going to do tonight. We are going to have a chat about the current state of things in the US right now. Um, and of course, we are going to, we definitely will di- tie it back into Lincoln and the Civil War and all that. But um, thank you to Nick for suggesting this, this very timely topic. I think it's something that we definitely need to address on the podcast. It's good we're talking about it. And I hope it generates, I'm thinking we're all hoping it will generate some discussion, um, you know, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And just to get people talking about it, I think is a, is a very, very good thing right now. Um, so you guys have any thoughts?
1: No, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, this is being recorded before the final day of the RNC speech. in case Something dumb comes out out of that or a linking comparison or something like that. And we don't address it. That's why, um, because we are doing it about, I don't know, two, two and a half hours before that. Um, Yeah, to me, and I know a lot of times people turn on podcasts or watch sports uh, to avoid current issues. But I think at least the state in America, um, I saw a quote by Sean Doolittle, and I think he got it from somebody else. That sports are the reward um, for a society that's doing the right things. So you know, us as American society, um, I, I don't know if we should be rewarded with an outlet of distraction. Um, because that's how we've gotten to this place, because we refuse to address this stuff head-on. Specifically, I think a lot of white Americans, um, because for a lot of white Americans, it doesn't directly impact them on a day-to-day, or never really directly impacts them because of their privilege. Um, So I I think it's important that it needs to be discussed. Um, and And I really think we're on the verge of probably our biggest crisis since the civil war. um, If you want to tie it back as far as election wise, I mean um, when I kind of just rack my brain here quickly, I'm sure some other people could probably think of some other major elections, but as far as, you know, the two elections, 1860, 1864 um, and the tension that's going with this, I I think 2016 would definitely rank up there with those.
0: No, I, I completely agree with you about that. It is, it is the, I mean, what I'm seeing, and I'm watching it from Canada, um, you know, just seeing it unfold, it's like, wow, this is the the greatest crisis since the Civil War. And there's so many different, like, you know, so many different elements to it. But it all, I think, my opinion is that it ties back to the Civil War. It also ties back into the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And all the repercussions from that um, are still being felt today. I think it's still very, it's almost like a broken bone that never healed properly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there, too. You know, the Civil War, we were forced to address, you know, the biggest sin in American history uh slavery, um, and we had an opportunity to address it and hopefully put it to bed, but we know how Reconstruction turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it did not reach what we were hoping for, and... We, I like the analogy of a broken bone that didn't properly heal. We thought that we were doing it, um, and finally, you know, it can't be ignored anymore. The pain is too much, um, and it needs to be addressed. And I, and I think that's what we're feeling um, as a country right now.
0: And to your point about sports as well, even they have become wrapped up in this. Even they have become political. And that's, you know, sports was always kind of my, you know, baseball, football, kind of my outlet to get away from politics and all that. And it's even become the issues have even become ingrained in that too. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's everywhere right now.
1: I don't think it's a political issue. I, I think it's like, a
0: yeah, Sorry, sure. I shouldn't say political, I, 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 but it's like the race. No, I get what you're saying
1: though, but I think it's because it's, it isn't no longer a political issue. Yes. This isn't like, you know, um, should we drill in, you know, Alaska or something? Um, Although maybe that's not good because of the climate, crazy weather we've had. But, you know, like a political issue where there is seems to be two sides where it doesn't seem one side has a moral, you know, um, upper hand on the other side. I mean, I, I think right now this isn't a political issue. I think it's a national crisis. Um, call it Maybe some people have called it, you know, a health issue. Um, Racism is a health issue, you know, stuff like that. Call it whatever it is. I think it's gone beyond political. And that's why, you know. For these NBA players, um, you know, with them being the league that kind of led the charge the other night, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they've had it. I mean, um, and I applaud them for that, too. Yep, um, I they, too. They, they, they took a stand, um, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, the Bulls suck, so maybe, you know, me and Boyce will have to start rooting for the Bucks <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> and then the Brewers canceled and the damn Cubs played anyway. I'm so disappointed in the Cubs, but... I won't go down that road. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with, with um, certainly with what you, you all, all are saying. I think that um, in comparing historic eras, I, I think that it is comparable to the Civil War in that this is not, 2020 is not like this anomaly where something started and there's going to be an end as much as this is the culmination of decades, you know, centuries of Build up much like the Civil War was, you know, you could look at World War II as p- potentially a bigger, I don't know, I wouldn't say catastrophe, but you know, a bigger historic moment, a historic moment of bigger historical import importance. But from an American perspective, it it, it wasn't quite the build up ma- major event. Of course, it was in Europe. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that this is very much a culmination of. Um, a path that we've been on for a very, very long time, certainly since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I've always, when I was teaching history, I always talked about everything before the Civil War um, was a cause or led up to it and everything that's happened since is an is effect in many, many ways um, with regards to the history of the United States. And I do think that um, our problem with, our biggest problem in, in the country with racism is the same problem of enslavement. Um, and I think what, what is important to note or to realize I was having, I had two really deep conversations about this today, but one was the, the, the racial, the, the racial situation in the United States is better now than it's ever been in the history of the United States. The amount of murder of black people by police is at its lowest that it's been in the history of the United States. The difference is. There's technology that captures it. There's social media that gets the word out. There's a little, you know, a modicum more empowerment that can, can amplify voices that, that, that weren't previously amplified. But that's the sad thing, is that everybody thinks that this is a new phenomenon of people getting murdered by police officers. And it is nothing new. It is woven into the fabric of our society, and it has been forever. Um, and the progress that we made is so small and it's discouragingly small looking at, you know, Emmett Till was murdered for looking at a white woman, you know, ostensibly and Samir Rice was murdered for carrying a toy gun, you know, and, um, Jacob Blake was murdered for possibly having a knife in his car. Like that's not very much progress um so so no we're you know this is you know when i say that we're we're better than we've ever been i don't say that in a positive way jason
1: blake is going to it seems like he's going to live that's the correct here or, oh i'm uh, sorry yeah yeah yeah. i don't want you know
2: us to get roasted on facebook yeah it's all right the parallel parallelism got to be yeah
0: no i, but, I get, oh sorry nick
2: no you go ahead man
0: i get what you're saying about the social media though it is it is basically put it out there and it's horrible to see but it's making people see it but yeah what gets me is just like oh I didn't know that you know this is a new issue no it's not as you said it's been it's been happening since reconstruction and even before that and it's always been here and that's I think what you know shocks people especially people you know I get Canadians reactions from it And they're like, is this a new thing in the U.S.? And I said, no, it's been going on since 1865 when Reconstruction began.
1: Yeah. You know, we keep saying that people see it. But, man, if you go on, like, Facebook or something, which I don't know why I've done this the last couple days, but, you know, some people aren't seeing it. Like, it's almost like they're not seeing it. Like, James Blake... You could clearly see he was shot seven times. There was no reason that he needed to be shot seven times. But then they get blinded by, like, putting – it's like gas, racism gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at his criminal record, or he had a knife. I don't give a shit what the person did, you know, the previous day or stuff. At the end of the day, it is not a cop's job to be, you know, the sole decider whether somebody lives or not. They're supposed to bring, if somebody is causing trouble, which based on the video, we don't even know if any trouble was happening. Um, and then, you know, a knife, you know how many people in this country have a freaking knife in their mm-hmm. car?
2: Uh, I, was I was pulled over in June with a knife in my car. And I was never scared for a second. I got a speeding ticket. The officer apologized for giving me said speeding ticket. And I went on my way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just the craziness. And then you have this kid or a 17-year-old who crosses state lines with an AR-15. And we are going to claim, people are claiming self-defense for him, shooting three people. As soon as you leave a fucking state with a, uh, with an AR-15 to go to an area where there is conflict, you lose all right to use the self defense article mm-hmm. in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, well, it's clearly know? not. Yet. It's-
2: it, I mean, it, I know.
1: I I am preaching the choir here with the two of you. I understand that, but like, it's like people aren't seeing it though. It's just so crazy, and I think this, all of that that's happening on social media, on top of this RNC convention where it's like bizarro world. It is so mm-hmm. bizarre. It like, like COVID doesn't even exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like talking like uh, like uh, Trump has done everything uh, in his power to help the black community. And he hasn't at all, you know, um, stoked the flames of racism at all. It's just absolutely mind boggling. And it's so frustrating yeah. and so disappointing.
0: It
2: well, is. and yeah, I agree. Nick, and when you talk about it being a political issue or not, like, the thing that's fascinating to me is normally, with political issues, two sides are arguing the best way to solve a problem. There are two distinctly different arguments on how to solve poverty. One side says higher taxes for people with bigger incomes provide state provided welfare and health care, and the other side says low taxes and whatever, like both arguing how to solve a problem with racism. it's as if there's one side begging. For people to at least acknowledge the fact that it's a problem and another side of people ignoring that it's a problem like willfully saying this is not a race issue this is an xyz issue this is whatever issue this is not a race issue this is a poverty issue this isn't a policing issue he had a knife in his car like not, not even acknowledging how completely obvious it is that they're mm-hmm. basically endorsing murder because this person broke a law at some point you know where it is absolutely absurd if you were just to ask a regular question like if your kid used a counterfeit bill, would he deserve to be knelt on to death? You know that's an absolutely absurd premise, but that's what happened you know and it and it doesn't happen to white people you know like <laughs> exactly just, just the visuals in kenosha and and I was you know a conversation I was having earlier this week i think I think this is hopefully going to really wake people up if it's possible not to be woken up yet because kenosha is is any town usa in many ways it's mm-hmm. you know i think that there's 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 people who think they can ignore minneapolis and ignore you know los angeles or, or chicago but kenosha wisconsin is about as mid you know middle america as you can get mm-hmm. um, and this is happening there you know this kenosha is very similar t- to rockford uh illinois where we live nick and i live um But yeah, I I think that this hopefully will at least start to have people acknowledge, you know, and the, you know, if you can't see that video and not acknowledging that that's a problem. Um, And then, you know, the 17 year old to me is resonating with me very deeply because he could have come from a school that Nick and I work at. Like I'm not saying that we have a student like that. I'm sure, you know, we've, we're working with our young people to, to educate them, but I, I, I would accept responsibility for that in many ways. If that, if that 17 year old came from our school and I look at what we owe, you know, when we're working with, with what we do in school about teaching and, you know, that in making our spaces comfortable for marginalized groups, we also owe our white students quite a bit of um, our expertise because if the educational system is producing that in a 17 year old, granted he's, you know, he's got parents and many other influences, something is also wrong there uh and that's you know it i agree with everything you're saying nick but i think the fact that this person is 17 years old does not excuse any of his behavior but it's worth noting that that's the level of privilege that white males have that they at before they can vote they can take uh, a semi-automatic assault rifle in front of police officers in, in, in wide open spaces and go and use it to kill two people and seriously injure another and then walk right back in front of more police officers, get offered a bottle of water and be thanked and then drive home.
1: The the hypocrisy of just that dynamic of the James Blake video with the social media videos of this kid and how vastly <laughs> different the outcomes were um, and how both of them acted. It's just it's just like symbolism like where we're at. It's just like And then you throw the RNC convention on top of that and the way that, you know, that they're twisting in there. It's just like, I don't know how we come out of this in a peaceful type of revolution or, to be honest, I mean, without a Biden landside win, I don't see how in the next five months we don't have more protests on the street. That probably won't be calm. Like... I don't see how how we get through this
0: in, in a scenario
1: of a close election with either person or a Trump win. Because let's be honest, if Trump wins in a landslide, I mean, th- there's got to be something fishy based on all the polling and everything that's coming in. So, like, I don't know. I don't know the immediate future. I hope to God, like you said, the culmination of everything. God, I hope this is the culmination of it all.
0: I hope it but, is, too.
1: Let's say it is. Are we at the end of the end or are we at the beginning of the end or the middle of the end? And we won't know that, I don't think, till November.
2: I would say, well, real, real quick, I'll take my turn to correct you, Nick. Yeah, Jacob Blake. Yeah, yeah, right. I think you guys James. But um, well, I, I was talking with a colleague today, like I think that the goal like Biden's mandate is actually to hit reset and go back to 2016. I don't think he's going to come in trying to do revolutionary change. I don't think we're going to see significant progress with race. I think what he's running on is to say, remember what it was like majority of America in 2016 when we all felt great and, you know, Barack Obama was president and, you know, now I don't say we all, I'm using that colloquially. Um, I think that, that he's going to try to go back to the status quo in a way that normally would be horrifying. But in this case is like somewhat comforting for me as a person with privilege, like, please yeah just something different um, and another thing that i that i realized today as i was kind of talking politics with a colleague there really hasn't been any policy change any laws of significance there's been no change to healthcare there's been no wall built really there's been no real tax reform there's been some you know foreign deals with china and stuff but as far as like substantive legislation it really hasn't happened all of this change is based on this empowerment of hate and this empowerment of these ideas that um, others are less than. And that, you know, and that for some reason, this idea of individualism, which is built on lies, is, is the American dream. And that gives me a sliver of hope that it can be undone by just by, by the American people rejecting that in the, in the voting booth. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just to bring this back to history a little bit, uh, for, for those of you who are looking for a history podcast, <laughs> look at elections like um and i may be screwing up the years and the individuals but um when the election went to the house of representatives i believe it was when john quincy adams was elected Mm -hmm. there was you know one person won the popular vote another person won the electoral, or no one won the electoral college but one candidate had more electoral votes it goes to the house of representatives which for some insane reason the framers of the constitution gave one state each state one vote (laughs) which is insanity to think that if that happened, Wyoming is as powerful as California. Um, but like that happened and that was a peaceful transition of power. Like mm-hmm. there were many many sides of that particular situation who could have had a really legitimate claim to say that people want me to be president. Right. I won the popular vote. I had the most electoral votes. I had the most votes of the house of representatives when they broke the tie after like a million different ballots. Um, You know, Hayes Tilden, I think, is is the best example of it. And that's largely what got us here, because Tilden won the popular vote and had more electoral college votes, but didn't have a majority. And they tied, 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 tied in the House until the Republicans agreed to give up on Reconstruction, um, which was when the Republican when the party of Lincoln became the Republican Party, in my opinion, um, and really set us on this path. So Uh,
1: don't tell tell, uh, Laura Trump that, though. Laura Trump last night was quoting Lincoln.
0: Really?
2: The president also quoted him wrong. And uh, our friend Christian McWhorter was the one who supplied the actual quote. Basically just saying that there has been times in history where a, the peaceful transition of power was in jeopardy and it always worked out well. You know, there was always a peaceful. This is, I, I really truly believe this is the first time in American history where there's a legitimate fear that there won't be a peaceful transition of power. And I don't blame the current president. I, like I the, the amount of people in his party who empower him, there's no voice of reason saying that this is insanity. There's no one saying that this – I don't want to say no one speaking in generalities, but there's no one of significance saying this is ridiculous. The fact that that party literally does not have a platform, they literally at their convention decided not to have a platform, is this bowing down to this one – which all of these things are not conservative ideas at all all like conservatives do not like government involvement in things they do not like too much power in the central government or in one person so like this this amazing twist of conservative ideas into this extremely powerful chief executive who lost the popular vote is fascinating and then you look at the democrats like there's a progressive wing of the party there's the moderate wing you know similar to how the republicans were in lincoln's day Um, But but it it looks like the Republican Party is turning into this monolith of blind following of the president at the fear of of his tweets, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more on a lot of that. I mean, it is truly mind boggling, like just when you hear like the comments. So, yeah, Nikki Haley was speaking and they played one of the news networks played like before Trump was the nominee. She was with like Marco Rubio and they were all like denouncing Trump and to see like how they've literally it literally is a fear of tweets, isn't it? I mean, like it is literally they're scared of the president tweeting out their name, which is absolutely mind boggling to me that I don't know for a couple of reasons that you could have that one person could have that much power on Twitter and then that another person could be that fearful of
2: a tweet well, and and they they act like they're like they're strong, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, Ted Cruz, you know, the president went after Ted Cruz's wife and his father with these ridiculously sexist and racist claims, and he just you know like and he does nothing. You know, it's it's you know like it's it's insane to me.
0: How, how does he um, even but... think that that is right to do to somebody though? Like that's what gets oh, me. He like a
2: hundred percent self-serving whatever serves him is what he does
0: yeah he's not in this for i mean obviously he's not in it for his love of his country because let's face it he loves one person and that's himself
2: that's real his family included
0: i believe yeah Well,
2: another thing that i would like to talk about um again trying to make this a little bit of a history conversation is what is this going to do to the office of the presidency i was thinking today about um george hw bush and bill Clinton became humanitarians together and they traveled the world, helping people with tsunami relief. And they created a foundation that's done a lot of good. And these are bitter political rivals in 1992, Um, you know, name calling, you know, very spirited rivalry. And as former presidents, they do all this, you know, just really impressive humanitarian work. Um, George W. Bush, like if you would have told me in 2004, that I'd be looking at him being like, Oh man, you know, maybe I wasn't fair. Maybe he's a decent person. <laughs> I would have said, there's no way, there's no yeah. way I would. Ever same, same and here. I absolutely. I miss the guy and I can't, I hate myself for it, but I absolutely do. And I know what he did, you know, to many, I know what his policies did to a lot of people, but I do believe he actually may have been a decent person, maybe a decent, decent person. Mm-hmm. And you look at Jimmy Carter, who I, I feel kind of invented or reinvented the role of the ex-president. Mm-hmm. As something apolitical and humanitarian and purely positive, what is the role of the former president going to be when the current president, hopefully very soon, becomes a former president? And I think it is going to be a hyper political, hyper partisan, critical, um, hateful situation that is going to stain, continue to stain the office of the presidency.
0: It's um, going to change. I think that role is going to change. Like it will not be Uh the same. You will never, ever see Trump and Bill Clinton do humanitarian work together. (laughs) Zero chance of that happening. And it's just, you know, and one thing that, that before Trump made me happy was to see all these, you know, former presidents together in the same room. They had different views politically, but they'd set those aside to do better in the world. There is no way in hell that Trump is going to do that. None.
1: Well, I think, too, his role, a lot of this election will, might determine what his post-presidency life looks like, especially if, let's say, Biden wins in a huge electoral vote and uh, Democrats take the Senate um, and the Republicans, I think it's safe to say, is going to hold the House does he get to go walk away like Nixon did and not have to worry about any type of trials or stuff about the stuff that he's done? I don't know. I, I think if we get a big Democratic win, I, I think his post-presidency is going to revolve around um, people looking for justice for the you know the wrongs that he's done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if it's very close, um, I, I think he just continues to be an annoying voice on Twitter yep. um, and that eventually gets drowned out. Um, and becomes this anomaly where the other presidents almost forget or hopefully just ignore him. Um, yeah,
2: that's but- my whole. I, I you know I, he deserves 100 percent to go to prison. Yep, I would I would be perfectly fine with him fading away. <laughs> you know, yeah. in the news in, in the news, CNN whatever, all of the news agencies saying his tweets are no longer news. He does not hold any position of authority. He's a former president, and we don't care. And just. Let him go, um, and move on. Like no pardon, no nothing. Just like you know what. And I'm not. And I'm not forgiving him of anything. But but that's the platform he craves.
0: Yeah. Just to yeah. just ignore him. Don't give him what he craves. And although he didn't become president, you know, McClellan after he ran in the 1864 election, he sort of drifts off into obscurity. You know, he is the governor of New Jersey at some point, but. You know he he just kind of disappears for a while and then reappears again. But uh, yeah, I I would be fine if Trump just drifted into obscurity and if the media just stopped pandering to what I he wants, which is attention.
1: Dude, yeah, but Trump like the McClellan. I don't. I could be wrong on this, but I don't feel like McClellan has the like this base that no. Trump does. Like they literally just. It, it, didn't. I, I still don't understand it. Like I, I need to start reading about psychology or something so I, I can wrap my head around it more. But like, there is a core group, and we all know this. Mm-hmm. That just like lives on everything he does, and I think, and those make up your Fox News viewers. A lot of them, so I think he's going to still have a platform on Fox News, um, which is going to be unfortunate.
0: Yeah, no, McClellan yeah, didn't agree. have that base. I was more like, com- saying yeah. like drifting into
1: you know. No, I, I get what you're obscurity.
0: saying.
1: I, I guess I'm say I just I don't see it happen. I wish it would happen to yeah. Trump, but I don't think it's going to. Oh, but to.
0: he's he's he definitely has that that base. I I've met people who are part of that base and it's to me it's just unbelievable how you can believe what he says.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, the the, the uh, psychological term I believe is cognitive dissonance, which is basically like if you you believe you love the country, you, you know, you say your beliefs are in like you know believing that uh, being pro life and pro, you know, be you know love your neighbor, or whatever kind of Christian values you may have, but then supporting a political ideology that that is contrary to that um, is con- cognitive dissonance, um, which is happening I believe at a staggering rate and. You know, I had a conversation today, and I had two conversations today, and now I keep referencing them, but it was good for me uh, because it was with somebody who I know is a very kind person, a very intelligent person, um, and very much a conservative. um, And she very much does not like the president, but will certainly vote for him. And it's good for me because I see a lot of folks who struggle with accepting Black Lives Matter and accepting just that cognitive dissonance and that, you know, the absurdity of what's going on. Like they're not all, I, you know, I don't want to paint them all with a wide brush. uh, But I do feel that um, like, I don't know the libertarian wing of the party, I guess, if there is a wing, like why they don't stand up and say, it is worth losing this election. We are libertarians. We believe in limited government. This is not that, you know, I think that's the biggest thing to me is this, this claim that, that, well, I'm a conservative, so I have to support him, when, he, when nothing that he does is conservative, in my opinion, very little. And I think it's as simple as saying, put two things next to each other. if it, or, or the same thing, but Obama does it, and Trump does it. If you'd be mad at one of those things and not both, then you've got a problem with, you, with, with your belief system.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: For example, if you can't get something passed in congress so you use an executive order if you feel that's an overreach of your power as the executive based on your conservative values when president obama does it you have to be mad when it happens now you know and when you you know when you know you issue an executive order that um, or when you go out and like say you need to boycott a company based on their values if you if you think that that's wrong for one president but not another that's a problem and i see that happening all the time where it's just and, and, and not and I'm not talking like Trump supporters. I'm talking like Republican senators who were fine with the current president doing things that they were lambasting the, the you know, President Obama for.
1: No, I, I agree with that 100 mm-hmm. percent. That, that gets back. I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, this team loyalty idea um, that politics um, could turn into at time. Um, you know, you root for the team, and then you're like, oh, you can't have Dennis Rodman. He's a terrible player in Detroit. Then he comes with the balls, and all of a sudden, he's the perfect player. You know, <laughs> something was wrong somewhere um, in your yeah, thought process. You're not process. compromising your values on that. But, you're not, well, like,
2: compromising your values, you
1: know. No, I – well, the Cubs fans had this challenge with uh, Chapman when he came yes. over. So, yes, um, uh, 100%. But that was a much different thing. But another thing I've been thinking about, too, that's kind of pissed me off, is the NBA players, not them, that they were forced I don't know if not necessarily forced, that they like they shouldn't be the ones leading the charge. like it 's not their responsibility to be out there in the forefront. Where are the politicians? Why is it that we get I know Harris already had a speech plan today, but why is it that Biden waits till after the NBA players did to come out and hit the radio shows hard? You know, I I don't count a one minute tweet video um, really coming out and speaking about the issue. So and then I was having a conversation with um, somebody in my family and I've been going to a lot of the protests in Rockford. And then they're telling me that you're just playing into the Republicans hands like that's fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to think three, six, like, you know, six dimensional chess for the overall Democratic political party. Because I want to fight for an issue that is local and that I want to support people who I think are doing the wrong thing and been ill-treated. But now you're putting me in this position because I need to be the person who's like working with Biden to get this stuff? No, that that's a reflection on the Democratic Party needs to do a better job getting their message out, um, being clear, denouncing this stuff, and you know, getting out there. It's not that hard of a message to get out there against the republicans right now it's not like trump makes up a new lie we know all these lies Mm -hmm. and then finally wallace and that other gentleman from vice tv you know they come start grilling him we could have done this two years ago Mm -hmm. grilling him there so like you know to put all this responsibility on individual citizens who aren't in the political thing but are trying to add and create a political message themselves and do the right individual thing that they think and to put this burden on them it really shows that our political system also needs to change um, as well on the Democratic side as well. And, oh, for sure. For sure. And that, that really bothers me. And thank God for the NBA players stepping mm-hmm. up and doing it because they've helped change the narrative. I know a lot of people are saying, well, maybe they don't make it. They completely changed the narrative this week because the Republicans yeah. were grabbing the narrative and they were spinning it as, you know, these cities are chaos crazy, which is a bunch of bullshit too. You know, yeah. I'm in Rockford. Literally, the protest has revolved around a one-block area, literally a rectangle of crosswalks. And then you go to people, and people think there's looting. There hasn't been. Lo- there's been one night of looting in Rockford, which had nothing to do with the protesters. And then it's just like I- I'm just going on a rant, and I'm just venting now. But no, but you know,
2: it's good. What I would say to that, I agree with you a hundred percent. I'm thinking about like Lincoln and abolition and enslavement. Mm-hmm. So like had he run in 1860 as an abolitionist candidate, he would have lost. He probably would not have, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gotten the nomination. The nomination would have gone probably to Seward um, or, you know, or maybe even like, you know, Blair or somebody, you know, a little bit more of a minor mm-hmm. figure at the time, perhaps, but he was a moderate um, or at least viewed as a moderate. Um, And I think we've made this, you know, I've made this argument several times on the show that the reason that he was so successful was because he was a political genius. Right. Like he knew the steps. And I always compare it to Obama and, and gay rights. Like, I don't believe for a second that that man ever was against gay marriage, maybe when he was a teenager, maybe. But he ran in 2008, which, you know, it seems crazy now. It seems like unfathomable now that Barack Obama ran for president. Saying that he believed that there should not be marriage protection for for same sex couples, he was non-committal at best, against it at worst. And by the end of his presidency, that that part of equality on the legal side for marriage happened in the United States. So, like, I don't think Biden is this is the political genius where he's let, where he knows endorsing defund the police is too volatile from a political standpoint to get anything done. But I do think that there's something to the argument. That politicians sometimes, and I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. And that's why I could never, I don't think, be a politician. But you sometimes have to compromise or at least hide, perhaps, your true beliefs if you want to get something done. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you came out and said, we need to completely dismantle the police departments and rebuild it in something that provides mental health care, provides de-escalation strategies, has racial equity, consciousness, and isn't, and they don't have quite the authority to use deadly force, whatever the system is, that's a non-starter. You're not going to, you know, like, I agree with that. That has to happen. You will not get elected. And that's a moral conundrum because I don't want to vote for somebody who's going to compromise their values, but moderate candidates and centrist candidates on the Democrat side get elected.
1: I, I get what you're saying and I agree with it. I think what's they're all interlinked really is what it is, because if there weren't those abolitionists, the hardcore abolitionists, uh, you know, the Stevens, the Sumner in Congress, you know, maybe Lincoln doesn't get pushed as far over that we need him to, to do, you know? Um, so they, they kind of play a role in everything together. You know, if it wasn't for these protests, you know, um, we wouldn't be talking about a lot of these things, the NBA players you know, when I brought in all this attention to it um, and stuff like that, that that's hopefully going to lead to some change, which we have seen in um, a few areas. So it, it all kind of goes together in, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So, like, part of the reason is, you know, I, I'm out there with protests. You're out there with young kids. You know, some of them get emotional. Do I agree with all their actions? No. Why do I go out there? I, I do think they're untre- uh, fairly, uh, unfairly targeted. But I also think that they need to continue to be out there else our mayor will just ignore what's going on because that's what they're waiting. They're just hoping that time passes and they can ignore this. But the people who are talking to the mayor behind closed doors, they need the protesters out there to keep the leverage at the negotiation table. Mm -hmm. That's where it's all linked. So that's I don't know where I'm going. I think I'm kind of getting off the point, but I think. Lincoln needed that though to get to ultimately where he needed to be, yeah. and I think yeah, Biden I helped Obama get there too. because Biden came out, um, you know, um, for gay marriage um, before Obama did, um, whether that was politically designed or not, uh, you know, who knows. But like, you, you need that type of stuff to push those moderates to the, where they're naturally going already. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I, I think it, it's and I think it's the politician job to throw these people a bone. And I feel like the Democrats at the beginning of the week were leaving these peaceful protesters because let's be honest, the majority of them are peaceful protesters. They left them hanging in Kenosha, I felt like, for a couple of days. And it didn't have to be that way. And if the NBA didn't shut down their games, does Biden make the news rounds today or does he wait till after the convention? That's something we'll never know.
2: Yeah, and there's a little bit of old schoolness there because it's you know traditionally you never campaign during the other party's convention and whatever, but that stuff's so far out the window. Mm-hmm. But I think your, your your point is well taken that that your your AOCs and your Bernie Sanders pull pull the party in that direction. But if the party was in that direction, it it, it or was all the way over there, I don't think progress gets made. No, um, I, I, wonder, I agree with to that too. Wonder, yeah, one other thing I'd like to bring up is looking at John Brown. And John Brown's, what he did at Harper's Ferry, in his, in his mind, he was probably similar in mindset to that 17 year old who murdered two people. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that to equate it to what, I, what I'm saying that to mean is like, I think that the, the, the racist sentiment is so deeply ingrained that they don't, it's not that they feel that a certain group, Is inferior they feel that they are superior that they have a moral superiority Mm -hmm. and that and the ability to do this now i i I don't think that they're even close to the same but like i think in their own heads i think that they do think that they're the same i I think that they think that they're like something like that you know where it's this is not any sort of civil disobedience at all um i mean he went up there saying that he was going to protect He was going up there to, to protect the businesses um which last time i checked were not humans um, or or in need of protection, but I'm going to resist for going down that road <laughs> <laughs> of the property yeah. versus life argument. So yeah, I'm not I'm not equating the two, but yeah. I'm equating like in his, I, I believe in their heads they feel like you know you look at Charlottesville like they weren't like the hoods have come off like they they weren't acting as if they were trying to subvert something or they weren't acting like they were proud and strong in their beliefs and they walked knowing that they had the privilege and the confidence to do so and they were shamelessly rooted in that hate it, but in their heads it's real it's 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 you know like i mean they they feel that it's right and that's a lot different than like a criminal who knows it's wrong and it's i believe much more dangerous no i and i've seen this
1: on the streets of Rockford because I've been taking my camera out and I've had individuals specifically address the camera like they think that they're so right. Like literally, there I was on with uh, a rock, uh, a gentleman, African-American gentleman who's a local poet. He was Facebook live in it and we were doing a march and he got approached by this guy and he basically says how much is George Soros paying you to us <laughs> and then goes on this rant I I truly believe in this. And then he tells him to get out his driver's license because you are volunteering to be a slave right now to an African-American gentleman on the streets in 2020 and truly believing that he is not in the wrong with cameras going. The guy that he was confronting was on Facebook Live. I had a camera. Another guy was taking pictures of it. It, It's like, so that's... I agree with you is what I'm getting at, boys. There are people that have this mentality now. And it's scary too what, what it could lead them to do because the hate I've seen in some of these individual eyes is just it's scary. And that's why I'm yeah. fearful for what the future holds. I guess the one good thing is I don't think we have as many in the closet racists that we once did. Oh. I think they've felt they've have felt emboldened. They've come out. Like the Republican Party keeps talking about this silent majority. I'm like, first of all, no, you got a fucking loud minority dude, and we've heard it for four fucking years, mm-hmm. and I hope God, I hope the election shows that that's true um, and then they could just start you know to be drowned out by the others
0: i I agree with what you're both saying about it. It's just that they do feel superior, it's ingrained in them i I used to think until about four years ago that it was just like you know, kind of what I would consider to be like the older generation, I guess. I, there's probably a different term I could use for it. But, but people like, you know, my parents' age that grew up in a different time. And I was kind of like, okay, that's just them. But no, I see young people. It's the young people that have that. And it's not right that the, like, you know, any generation of any age has that kind of attitude. But, and I see it here in Canada as well, especially where I live, which is pre- predominantly white, and, like, I have seen racism in my own town. I've witnessed it. It's horrible. It's from people that I know. Like, I, I just, you know, I can't believe it happens. But what gets me is the young people that, you know, they're they're at such an impressionable age. And whatever kind of house they're living in or, envir- you know, environment they're growing up in, they're being raised to be this way. And they know nothing different. And that's what gets me.
1: That's why it's so important at the, at the high school, at the high school level, you still got a, some chance, yeah, to help them, you know, uh, to be able to give them the tools to find their own opinions, mm-hmm. um, you know, teach them some, you know, what's a logical fallacy, stuff like that. Um, and I have seen some kids who have made that change. Um, that that's why I think education is so important. And then our school district, you know, we, and boys could talk to us, too. You know, we've worked very hard on making it um, better, Uh, especially in the history department, that we're doing a better job of teaching not, you know, white American history, more of a true history and accurate history from multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we we still have work to do, but we've made improvements over the years. Mm -hmm. And that's important for these kids so they can see that and start to formulate their own opinions um, and then if we do have somebody like the 17 year old when he enters the high school, hopefully he has been enlightened. Um, and he, you know, he, he's now being judged not by what he's. I always tell the kids, create your history, you know what I mean? Don't use somebody else's history, study it yourself, put together what you think the history is from accurate sources, multiple sources. Just don't let somebody tell you what the history is. That's mm-hmm. where we get in trouble in America. Well, I, um, yep. and I, then. Well,
2: and that's just what I see as the, the biggest evolution in education, which which is what does give me some faith in future generations, is that when, when I was in school, of course, the lesson was that racism was wrong. But the lesson was also racism was drinking fountains and yeah. white parents not letting their kids play with black kids. And that that was the beginning, middle and end of what racism was. And then Martin Luther King had a dream. And then, you know, we don't have that anymore. Um, whereas I think now we, we, we name it. Uh, we we talk about it. Um, we lean into it. Um, and, and we're thankfully in a system where parents do complain often and we can we just kind of handle that. Um, but I think we're, we're trusting kids to young people, teenagers, high school students to, to be the thinkers that they are um, and to think for themselves. And, you know, get past the, you know, just because the black kids on your football team doesn't mean you're immune to racism. Um, And I think that we're coming, we've come a long way. Um, And really looking at generational trends, I think that we're 10 to 15 years away from hopefully having our politics being left and center left. Because, you know, I remember when we were, you know, a generation ago, like when I was first voting, and, you know, maybe in my early 20s, the older generation was solidly Democrat cause it was the new dealers, right? Like the, that, that, great depression generation, my grandmother who was, I loved her. She loved me dearly, but the, the, she, she had, she was a racist, she had some racist mm-hmm. tendencies big time, you know, and I'm not forgiving that. And I'm not saying it's because of her generation, but you know, but like, she would have voted for any Democrat. It didn't matter who it was because of Franklin Roosevelt. Right. Well now we've got the Reagan Republicans are, are that generation, I think. And, Older folks now are largely Republican when they were like reliably Democrat, when they, um, you know, no longer vote (laughs) when they're, you know, when when that generation is passed on. I think that you're going to see, you know, the the generation that we grew up with and then, you know, the the Clinton era, you know, moderate types are going to embody that where the older voting, largely the older voting core is going to be moderate. And people our age are increasingly liberal. And I hope that the younger generation is even more so. And I I believe that they will be. So I do think, you know, like Dr. King said, the, you know, the arc toward history uh, or the arc of history is long, but it bends towards freedom. I think that's true, but it's, it's not feeling that way now.
1: Mm -hmm. That's what I don't get about the Republican party, because I I agree with all that in the long-term trends, we're just going to become more diverse demographically too. That's where we're trending. Like, what is like they don't think long term at all right now, um, the party members, or they're just hoping that this was just a four year phase, you know, and they could continue to stay in office and weather the storm. Maybe that's their goal, but the Republican Party, um, is in some trouble unless they really start to change, or I guess maybe they're just counting on Trump becoming, you know, um, I don't know, dictatorship, monarchy, whatever they're striving to do.
0: Oh, that's scary. Um, maybe this means like, you know, if he loses the election i hope he does maybe this means a restructuring of that party of their values but but i don't
1: know even I, then because you remember when obama won that was the talk with the Republican party we need to get more diverse we need yeah. to be
0: able to so they've gone completely backwards um, like they've gone like all these wounds have been reopened and you know just that broken bone analogy that never healed yeah. properly like it's just like all this stuff has be- come to the forefront. You know, and I'd like to think that maybe we can look back in in 20 years and say, okay, it was horrible. We got through it, but now we're healed.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the problem is their attempts at diversity are finding people of color within their party and pushing them to the yeah. forefront, which yeah. in, in and of itself isn't a bad thing. That's They should. Those voices should be amplified. But if you don't change your policies, you can't just take the same number of people – And say like, well, look at our party now.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, yeah, they were there before. (laughs) Now you're paying attention to them, which is good. You should. But if you don't change your policy, you're only going to have the same, you know, the same base of people that you had before. You're not, you're not building a coalition. You're, you're trying to tell, you're trying to show people like, look, look at this person. Like, don't you you know? (laughs) And then now you're engaging in tokenism and, and it becomes very problematic. And then we need to get other people to understand that these
1: policies that we need to change the institutional racism that exists um, in society, you know, um, in the history of it. That's really, you know, caused this division, um, which COVID exposes more than anything, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, is the institute, the legacy of institutional racism. I mean, when you look at the deaths and the people who are affected by that and impacted at a greater level. Yeah. Holy smokes, man. The statistics are mind-boggling um i mean it's just crazy to think that pence basically said last night that there is an institutional racism there's not implicit bias in our system and i just don't know how you can say that when you look at all those statistics and you look at that stuff and that doesn't bother you then black lives do not matter to you Mm -hmm. if that doesn't bother you then black lives do not matter to you And, and that's really what i think some people need to start thinking
0: completely agree about that like it it's just it's you standing up there saying that stuff last night and it's like how can like how can you say that when you have the hardcore evidence that it is completely otherwise and again are they just pandering to this core loud fucking minority that they have that are gonna believe every word that comes out of their mouth even if it's a blatant fucking lie
1: yeah and how about Pence making it seem like Indiana's the home
2: of Lincoln? What the fuck is oh that? Oh,
0: God. Did you
2: see that, boys? Did you see that video? Uh, I uh, did myself a favor and I took a little time away from listening to assholes talk on TV. So, well, well, I didn't It's
1: hilarious, first of all. It reminds me of like a, like a parody video because he's like talking to all these people that benefited from him. And there's one point where he like rubs a little kid's head, you know, like messing up the hair, like the whole part. Uh, Basically, it was to claim like Indiana is the home of Lincoln, a little bit. I don't know if that's what they
2: meant, but. It was a home of Lincoln.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Illinois is the home of Lincoln. And I don't care where our rail splitters live or think,
2: that is the truth. Kentucky can call it the birthplace, you know, or you can even say, you know, the Lincoln childhood home. We are the land of Lincoln. And you can't deny it because it's on our license plates. Oh, man that, that pens video it's kind of worth
1: watching for if you want a little chuckle
0: I've just been kind of like I haven't I've read a couple news stories and Jar has told me a little bit about it but I've been I didn't need to be angry today I guess I know I need to stop watching I, I didn't don't know want to be angry.
1: That's a right choice. It really.
0: Is. I'm angry enough about some of the shit that's going on, um, not just in in the U.S. but in my country too. Like it's just it's like okay, enough is enough. I'm not trying to ignore the news, but I still follow it. But sometimes it's like okay, I, for the sake of my mental health.
1: And then dude, he ends his speech. It was like the total beat moment. Make America great again.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Again. Yeah, he said it twice. Oh god. And I was just like, oh my god.
2: Yeah, I saw about- like an amazing, I saw a tweet about that. It's like, um, they're like, hey, hey, Mr. Vice President, do you have an idea for a new slogan? And then like, he's like, I don't know. He's they're like, we'll make American make America great again. And he goes, again? And they're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, for somebody
1: claiming to be a Republican Party, Lincoln would not be somebody to look backwards. Um, no. And if he did, it was to help him move forward, too. Yeah. I mean, the stuff Lincoln passed was always looking forward to, um, to kind of bring this back to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically all the flaws are president lacks, or all the things that our president lacks, were strengths of Lincoln, I feel like.
0: Yeah. It yeah. probably
1: makes it even harder to do this podcast in some days. Well, <laughs> I,
0: But I think, you know, it's that's why we have to like remember Lincoln more than ever talk about him more than ever talk about the civil war more than ever, because that's how like, you know, you look back at that history and you're going to understand more of what's going on and realize that everything has been like, it's like a cycle and the cycle is going to keep repeating itself until you make a change. And every time it repeats itself, it's going to be worse than it was the time before.
2: Yeah. You know, I would say that the only thing that the two of them have in common is that they each were unique in their time as far as the presidency goes. Yeah. Like there's like unprecedented, you know, Lincoln's humility. Lincoln was the first president to really rely um, and trust his staff and his advisors and his cabinet, but had the strength to make his own decisions. And um, really, I think was, was just uniquely unique in his, in his Mm -hmm. way that he conducted the office. And and I think the current president is unique and unprecedented as well. And as positive as Lincoln was, I I feel the current president is is as bad.
0: Lincoln was Lincoln was far ahead of his time, to the point that he's timeless. Like you, you can take any of Lincoln's words and speeches, and apply them to today, and take something away from them. Like here, here we are today, like a hundred and fifty some years later, we have a podcast about him. We talk about. You know how timeless his words are and how we can still apply them today. Whereas, and Lincoln was always moving forward, whereas Trump is just, it's backwards. It's like regressing. Yeah, I mean, it's He's definitely like, it's, like
2: it's like regressing, but it like branched off and it's like going backwards worse.
0: Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're worse off than what you started with, kind of thing.
2: Right. Like, to go to like, it, it was, it's one thing to go backwards to like back when times were different and worse. He's making a new worse in a totally different backwards direction. Like it's like it's like the eighty the the other nineteen eighty five and back to the future part two. Yeah. Who by the way was actually Biff was actually based on, on Trump. That's right, uh, yeah, I
0: remember the, that. Are you for real? Yeah, yeah. He was based yeah. Biff was based off Trump. That's why like there was that Biff Tower in it. He was like one hundred percent based Biff, off Biff, Trump. Biff, Biff, oh,
1: yeah. I guess I didn't really think yeah. about it till that. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh shit yeah uh-huh. who's our marty mcfly biden <laughs> sure that's a good question yeah that's or is biden doc
0: biden's and doc then, brown and then yeah, harris
1: I and mean, harris, I mean, harris is marty mcfly
0: yeah that's it
2: <laughs> yeah we could keep going with this i'm sure
0: yeah we are actually I at 59 keep... minutes right now
2: uh, i'm
1: sure that listeners would love to listen to a half hour of us uh <laughs> Assigning back to the future characters to current politicians. I if they beared with podcast. us, if they bared with us this far, even so yeah, this I, I listened to a
2: podcast where they, they would not stop talking and going on and on about Trump, and then they ended up talking about Back to the Future somehow. Like, there's no way that happened. That did not happen in a single podcast episode. Like, no. As a matter of fact, it did. Well what was what's the topic of that podcast? Abraham Lincoln, actually. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and here we are. <laughs>
1: If you made it this far and you're upset, you have nobody to blame but RailSplitter Nick. Uh, I initiated the idea today. I was not really in a headspace to talk civil war. Um, a lot of the stuff that's happening is, you know, tough to deal with. And I'm sure a lot of other people are between COVID and the social unrest. Um, definitely been tough at times. So but- I appreciate you guys for uh, agreeing to do it. So, um a lot of f bombs. I apologize about that. Uh, Boyce's mom, I know she listens. Miss Boyce, I pro- apologize for the f bombs.
0: Mrs. Boyce, uh, I apologize too for the f bombs. I usually don't. I usually try and stay a little bit happen. more not dropping them, but I did tonight.
1: <laughs> so I think next week we'll be back to Civil War, um, unless you know something crazy yeah, I think, happens. Yeah, I hope not.
2: Yeah, To our listeners, yeah, thanks for being with us, listeners out there. We promise we'll have the. Lincoln east Lincoln episodes coming up soon. <laughs> um but of course we'll talk about, you know, elections and those things too. And um we got some other things that we've got in the works as well. So I think we got some good stuff coming.
0: Yep. So thank you uh thank you, Nick, for suggesting this topic. I think it like I think it's important as a podcast that we discuss it because it does tie back to the civil war and to Abraham Lincoln and all that happened there. Like I said, at the beginning, the assassination, the end of the civil war, it is completely why, you know, it's one of the main reasons that the situation is happening today. So I think it's an important issue that we address. And, um, so yeah, thank you. It was awesome listening to the two of you and your thoughts on it too. No problem.
2: Yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: So are we wrapping up for tonight then? yeah so okay um, our weekly features I was thinking I'm just doing this on the fly right now I was thinking maybe just just doing them doing this episode without them because this is an extremely special kind of episode um, that we just did so
1: shout out to Christian McWitter if you follow him he did uh, fact correct somebody using um, a Lincoln quote wrong so
2: so, in, all, in other news, Nick and I came th- again with the same, same, same okay. thing to talk about. So,
1: <laughs> I, I was just seconding what you brought up earlier. So we had some type, yeah. so just so we oh. had some type of end feature.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because we should have an. I feel like
1: Mary was struggling there, so I was just trying to. Oh, I'm with you. I'm so with I was you. like,
0: "Do we do it? Do we not?" <laughs> this is how prepared we always are.
1: <laughs> we'll bring it back. We'll bring them back. Um, at eleven next week. Spinal <laughs> tap will turn it to eleven next yeah. week.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Well, um, any parting thoughts?
2: Well, if I could talk a little bit about politics, I hope uh, you guys <laughs> will listen for a second. <laughs> no, I don't
0: have any part of
1: <laughs> No, I'll just say for bearing with us. If you listen, hopefully you got something out of this. Um, hopefully not a lot of anger though.
0: Yeah, and, and please, you know, when you listen like comment on Facebook, like let's get a discussion going about this on the Facebook page um, or Twitter as well. Like just any of the platforms that we are on. I think it warrants a discussion. I think it's good for us all to talk about it and just see what other ideas and, you know, might, if you're feeling frustrated about it, it might help you just to write some stuff down too, even if it's in a comment on our Facebook page. So yeah, feel free to, we have a very like open, welcoming environment over there with many great people. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, please do and come on over. Everybody's welcome there. All right. And if there's nothing else, I guess that will wrap up our episode. So thank you again for listening to us. Um, Thank you, Nick and Jeremy for all your awesome insight into what is happening right now. Um, And we will definitely be back with you again very soon with Lincoln content and history And so until that time, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we'll see you all again soon.